Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under Burn Orange Nation on the Apple Podcast feed. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you found this podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media on Twitter, at Longhorn Pod. Follow us on Facebook, The Longhorn Republic. And you can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's writing in Kanye West for University of Texas president, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, that's, you know, that, that may be the most likely uh, place that, that, that he could win. No, I, I actually think UT seems pretty set in that regard, which is good. I, I've known our past two uh, presidents quite well, Powers. Um, obviously, uh, Fenves, and now we're moving into... Uh, the Hartzell area, no uh, era, I should say. Um, I'm excited uh, for UT in many ways. I think we get to talk about as two podcast hosts at the cutting edge of the world technology society, and um, unfortunately, uh, deep virus prevention um, CDC web blasts. Uh, you and I are the foremost uh, authorities on everything. We get to talk about breaking news, Joe. There's breaking news that happened today. Not just that Jay Hartzell was the only nominee for this position of University of Texas president. But the Big 12 has officially saved football. I'm going to go and say it. Um, just like the Big 12, say, or the, that Texas saved the Big 12 several years ago, Texas basically saved the Big 12 and college football in the fall uh, because – you know, whatever you say, rumors are out there that Texas was one of the big, the big, the big stack. We'll just say big tank bank, take little bank. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, Big 12 has decided to move forward with a fall football season. Uh, Bob Bowlesby and the conference announced on Wednesday. And so we are actually re-recording a show that we recorded earlier in the week to get this news out there. But uh, they will go forward with a and they released a nine game conference schedule with obviously a championship game following. They said now we do have to be flexible. Things may get pushed back. We may end up playing into January, but the University of Texas has also confirmed that UTEP will be their non-conference game. Now, the conference schedule did get shuffled a little bit, so UTEP will be on the 12th. Then they'll take a bye week, start conference play with Texas Tech on September 26th in Lubbock. They'll come home to take on TCU October 3rd. OU in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl still on October 10th and take another bye week. Then they'll, go, uh, they'll host Baylor on the 24th of October. Go to Stillwater on Halloween night to take on Oklahoma State. Then they'll come home for West Virginia. They will take a bye week. They will then host, or they'll travel to Lawrence to take on Kansas. They will then host Iowa State and close the season on the road against Purple Kryptonite on December 5th, Kansas State. So one, Kyle, I know we don't have to ask you this. You're excited that there is still football, at least on the docket for now. Again, things could change uh, like the weather changes. But yeah. as you look at this schedule, like what jumps out to you the most? Well, I mean, yeah, obviously they, they, they switch some people around. So if you've been listening to our previews and you have that in your head, just know your brain's going to be a bit scrambled. Um, I think not finishing with Oklahoma State um, is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, I, I, I like getting them 
little bit earlier in the year, but it does push Kansas State back. And I, you know how I feel, longtime listeners of this podcast, about playing Kansas State. I just see a world in which they love to be the the fly in the punch bowl if Texas has uh, a really great season up to that point. Um, you know, Tech being our, our first, our Big 12 opener again is is, is soft, but the, the TCU game before OU is interesting. Um I think you can go either way of saying it's a tough opponent before OU, but it's also, as we talked about uh, with our good friend Melissa Trebowasser, it is a team that is um, that is young and, and probably a team that will be better at the end of the season than they will be at the beginning of the season as some things are clicking in. Um, you know, I, I think it's not necessarily a terrible thing. You know, there's no real easy opponent to have before you, your eyes start to wander to the Red River rivalry the week before. It's always going to be undershadowed a little bit. Um, we've had some really tough games in the, in the past immediately before that, so um, I don't know that it, it necessarily blows anything out of the water. But yeah, the the uh, Iowa State-Kansas State end for me after coming off a of bye week for the final um, games feels uh, feels it feels interesting. It feels like it's, it's significant. Yeah, and, and one, I called that out already, but that Oklahoma State game, I guarantee you, is a night game on Halloween night mm. in Stillwater, which is absolutely just like just bone-chilling scary to me. Playing in Stillwater is always bad. Playing at night in Stillwater is where yeah. playing on Halloween is terrible. So, like, all three of those things coming together um, is absolutely ridiculous. And I think you mentioned it. Like, Kansas State loves to beat Texas. Kansas State absolutely loves to beat Texas. Can you imagine how hyped that team will be if Texas is 9-0 and yep. coming into that game? Can you imagine what it will be like for those players to be like, hey, we've got a chance to be spoilers for Texas, right? They would be completely up for it. I think getting Tech first thing in conference is a good tune-up, and I think giving you – like. Even based on the preview we did, I don't think UTEP is going to be good. I think our UTEP expert said UTEP is not going to be very sure. good. So having an opportunity to kind of knock the, the dust off and knock the rust off a little bit against a team that you could probably still end up with your backups in by the, the start of the fourth quarter is good. You take a week off, you correct everything, you jump in, you travel to a tough place to play. Now, again, I don't know how tough Lubbock – it's still a tough place to play because of the travel and all the bus rides and all that weirdness, but like – Without fans, it probably won't be as bad, and even a smaller crowd, hopefully it won't be as bad. OU in the Cotton Bowl, always scary. And again, I talked about Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Those are the two that scare me. Uh, we'll talk about Iowa State. We're actually previewing Iowa State today. Iowa State is a is a really talented team this year, mm-hmm. uh, but getting them in Austin is always better than getting them in Ames, uh, which, again, always feels good to me. Yeah, I mean, it, you think about the the – the biggest game of the year. Iowa State isn't playing uh, Iowa this year is Big Ten football. Um, is is you know no more or at least no no now. Um, and so Iowa State's two biggest games of the year always seem to be as most teams Texas and someone else. And it's it's you take Iowa off their biggest game of the year is Texas. Kansas State right now in in the in the sport of football, I'm almost positive that their biggest rivalry game of the year, the the one they get up for, like you said, is is UT. So you have to take two historical spoilers. You see what Kansas State did to OU last year um, and what Iowa State has done to Oklahoma State in the past, um, done to OU uh, in the past, at least been been a, you know, a problematic game. Uh, those I, I keep looking at the end of that schedule. My eyes uh, focus in on it and my heart grows, grows you know, uneasy. But again, if we're 8-0 heading into the last two games, I feel pretty good about... Uh, 
early 2000s vibes for Texas. You know, if we're good, we're back, we have things that means we've won some games that are that are big games, then I feel like we can we can uh, keep the pedal down and finish this thing out. And so it wasn't just an announcement of the schedule, but the Big 12 announced kind of what their enhanced, I'll, I'll go and say it like across the conference health and, and testing standards are, which is something that I think you and I, um, the Big 12 has done a really good job in the last few days, but we were pretty critical that the conference and well, on the national level, there wasn't anything like this. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I agree. I, this would have been fantastic months ago from all conferences, all Sports, but they they kind of seem to break it down. Um, from Bullsby's statement, it looked like the what they called quote high contact sports, football, volleyball, and soccer players would have three tests per week. Um, return to play protocols after positive occurrences include an EKG, uh, G that's uh, a tropin, I don't even troponin blood test. Uh, I, I'm obviously showing my medical chops here: an echocardiogram and cardiac. MRI, which I know exactly what all of those are. Um, for for uh, for non-conference football opponents, they must adhere to the COVID nineteen uh, testing protocols that conform to Big Twelve standards the week leading up. So for UTEP being, I guess, really the one example of that, they would have to do all the things that Big Twelve uh, is requiring. So I mean, I think that it seems robust to to my uh, naive WebMD and Googling various terms brain. We've been critical of Big 12 leadership for, I think, rightfully so and, and for right reasons. Uh, but it seems like they've really finally figured it out. And maybe, just maybe, this is why they took extra time in announcing the, the 9 plus 1 schedule. Again, uh, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. And I'm pretty sure they're going to screw something up at some point. But uh, we definitely now uh, know what we're doing moving forward, which is a good, good feeling. But you know what it means, Gerald? We have football to talk about, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. That's what matters. And so, yeah, this is still all, again, written in sand. This could change. Uh, I mean, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 put out schedules, right? The Big Ten put out a schedule like a week ago and then decided to cancel yeah. uh, basically overnight. So uh, this could all change again. But as it stands right now, we do have football. Now, I say that to also cue up the fact that we recorded our interview due to scheduling reasons before this schedule came out. So we're going to preview Iowa State with Levi from Wide Right and Natty Light. And it might be, you're going to hear us refer to like not knowing what's going on, which again, that probably is evergreen at this time <laughs> in our lives. Uh, but we are going to say that because just showing you how the sausage is made a little bit. We recorded this before the schedule came out. So there may be like not knowing what the schedule is references and things like that built in. So this is normally the part where I do the countdown to football. We're just going to forego that, and we're going to introduce our friend uh, Levi Stevens of Wide Right and Natty Light to talk about Iowa State, the Cyclones. Man, Levi, how are you doing today, brother? Drinking. <laughs> That's it. Hey, man. <laughs> been a bad day. <laughs> if you could answer every question in one-word responses, this would be a quick podcast, but it'd also be interesting. <laughs> I mean, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't come get me because you wanted one-word answers. <laughs> That's absolutely for those listeners who remember our previous wide ride Natty Light podcast with Levi. Um, hopefully, you are going somewhere during this COVID time with the four hour route. No, <laughs> we we actually I'll say this: we intentionally like we're going to talk to Levi for seven hours, so we wrote fewer questions than we have in the last few weeks. <laughs> we did. We did. Kind of cut your question list in half. You want to get out of here? We did that. We did actually like thirty percent. Let's just be honest here. So we're going to start. We're going to start with the man because I know you like talking about him. Uh, Brock Purdy, the man himself, heading into his senior year, looking to go out on a high note, 
Uh, he took over four games into his sophomore year and has not really looked back, has been one of the best quarterbacks in the country, if, if uh, we could just really be honest about it. Um, so we're going to get fewer games. He already holds, what, 21, I think, is the number of school records in his two seasons. Or, I don't, there's, there's, sure. a big, there's a big number out there. Some, some um, double digit number that's very high. Yeah, I Googled it. I think it was 21, but if you're an Iowa State fan listening, don't correct me. I don't care that much. Uh, but what <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your expectations? What are the expectations for, for Brock Purdy heading into 2020? Well, the, the thing to remember too with last year is that one, he played at least the back half of the season with two bad ankles and a bad shoulder. Um, so he is basically his running threat that is, was ba- it was just not, it was not a thing. I mean, teams still respected it because they weren't sure if I would say it was going to break it out at some point, but largely the running game, his running game was almost a non-factor after the TCU game. He ran for like a hundred and however many yards against TCU. And then after that, it was basically nothing. Part of it was because he had two bad ankles and can't make anybody miss or anything like that. Um, but he still, you know, delivered one of the best performances, probably, probably well, actually the best performance by a quarterback in school history. Um, the offense after losing David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler somehow jumped from the fifties up into the top 15 in offenses. <laughs> um, pretty dramatic jump when you lose, you know, two of the, I don't know, five or six best players in the history of the program. Um, that shows you what Brock Purdy can do. Cause I'm, I'm putting Brock Purdy at a safe number two pushing for one at this point. Um, and I think depending on what the season goes like, you know, I, I mean, I know Troy Davis, bless his heart, ran for 2000 yards back to back first time that had ever been done. Got screwed out of the Heisman and the Doak Walker in the same year. But, um, you know, when you feed the dude 45 times a game, you back up, you know, you pile up some yards. Mm. But uh, Brock Purdy has, but even even when he was doing that, Iowa State still sucked. So it's, you know, he didn't, you know, he's good individually, but didn't do anything for them. Right. Um, Brock Purdy has been a gigantic reason that Iowa State is now ranked in the preseason for the second year in a row, which is a big deal <laughs> for Iowa State. Um, and he's the reason that you can lose two of the, like I said, two of the five or six best players in the history of the school, and you can jump 40 spots in the offensive rankings because um, he is, I mean, aside from maybe Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, I can't really think of any core. I wouldn't, tra- I wouldn't trade either of those two guys for Brock Purdy, but there's a lot of like college coaches that aren't Iowa State fans that you take Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence first, and Brock Purdy is going to be right there as one of your next choices for a quarterback you would build your team around. Sam Ellinger's probably up there. And then what's the kid from North Carolina? He's pretty, he's pretty good. Um, Howell. Yeah, Howell and the Keaton Slovis kid from USC. Like, that's your, that's your second-tier quarterbacks there. Um, and for Iowa State to have a guy that's arguably the third-best quarterback in the country, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, expectations. I mean, I, his passing was efficient last year. He got, there's a couple times where he started forcing balls a little bit too much. There was a couple times where the play calling didn't do him any favors, especially against Oklahoma State when he threw 62 passes <laughs> against Oklahoma State for no discernible reason. Um, when you start passing that much, Oklahoma State rushes basically nobody, and they just sit nine people back in coverage and take off every passing line, and there's nothing Brock can do. Um, so, you know, it, I've, his passing I would expect to be his typical efficient self. He'll still take some chances because he's kind of got a little bit of a gunslinger mentality to him, but he gets gets the job done. Um, but this Brock Purdy will be fully healthy. I would expect his running game to return. I mean, he'll still never be like a, a running quarterback, but he'll he can he's a guy that will definitely do damage in the running game. 
Um, they won't let they won't won't run a lot of like QB powers like Texas will with Sam Ellinger or anything like that. But he'll you know they'll run some read options and stuff like that with him, um, and let him let him do his things because when when Brock Purdy can run around when he can make plays on when he can make plays out of the pocket when he can pick up yards in the ground, he becomes an exponentially more dangerous quarterback and a significantly harder one to defend. Um, and when you've got then you've got that and the offensive line. Well, I'm, I don't know if we're getting getting to the offensive line at some point, but. Yeah, we'll get yeah. There. we'll get there. I'm not going to burn through all your topics, but you know, <laughs> I, I think it stands to reason that given the playmakers coming back and the ones that they've added and him being healthier, I would expect him to be at you know at minimum as good as he was last year, but probably even better if he can stay healthy. To echo your earlier staccato style, I'll, I'll sum that up in a quick summation. He's he's pretty good. Um, so <laughs> you you know you love it. Staying around to help uh, <laughs> to help Mister Purdy uh, will be his his second favorite target from from uh, last year. Tight end Charlie Kohler, uh, Kolar, and junior uh, wide receiver Tariq Milton. So uh, Milton had a couple mammoth games early on. Who do you expect? Purdy to get all those yards to be throwing it to um, next year and, and including those two who are, you, who are your top targets uh, next season well even if, last year one of the reasons that the offense was so much more successful is because two years ago you threw it he threw it around a little bit but in general didn't have a target you throw it to Hakeem Butler and it seemed to work out okay um, but it's not like a super efficient way to run an offense last year I don't know how many games it was but it had to be damn near all of them where nine nine ten people were catching passes I mean, he's, he spreads that thing around to the running backs, the tight ends, which we'll get to the tight ends at some point. Um, but the receivers, you know, like you said, Charlie Cole or Tariq Milton, the offenses, you're losing to Shante Jones and Michael Batway. Those are two reliable guys from last year, but you're replacing with uh, replacing them with a, with a bunch of talented guys too, that will, that are plenty talented to step up. Um, Tariq Milton will slide into Deshante Jones's old, old role as a kind of your underneath slack guy. But Tariq is, has, a lot more big play potential than Deshante Jones did. Um, so he's like, I, the ceiling of that position has gone up probably fairly significantly because you can run Tariq on, on, uh, on streak routes and things like that too. Like you wouldn't necessarily be able to do with Deshante. Um, they brought in a couple big time Juco. They brought in a big time Juco receiver, Xavier Hutchinson. Um, he's six, two, six, three. Um, he plays, I compared him to Justin Blackman uh, in my, in my film review where he, his thing, he's he like he's he's fast. He's not like lightning fast, but he's fast. He's a good route runner. He's got good. He just does everything well. But his best attribute is he gets open. He just gets open, and he uses his body well. He can. He's plenty athletic enough to go up and kind of and to go up and uh, get balls over the top of corners. He runs good underneath routes. He's good after the catch. Um, Iowa State will I would hope would put him all over the field. Get him as many targets as you can get him because he's dangerous. Um, and there's a. There's a whole host of other guys, you know, even whether it's experienced guys coming back or whether it's new freshmen that just haven't gotten a chance to play yet. There's Joe Skates, Landon Akers, um, Darian Porter. Uh, God, I don't even – there's a ton of them. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's a really, really deep room. The t- but the tight ends room is probably – it's as a whole unit, might be the best one in the country, honestly. Because they've, they've got Charlie Kohler, who's um, <laughs> really good. Uh, he's he's pr- he's the best receiving tight end in the big in the Big Twelve. I don't think that's super contestable. Um, all the guy does is catch first downs and touchdowns. For a while there, he was like for the, a while there, it was like um, like half of it was it was ninety two percent of all of his catches were for first downs and touchdowns up through like the first nine games or something like that. Like that's all mm-hmm. the guy does is he just gets first downs and touchdowns. And Brock loves to look for him when he doesn't know who else to go for. Throws it to Charlie Kohler and he uses his six six frame to go get it. 
not many people that can really contest him for that type of catch. Chase Allen's probably the most complete tight end in the team as far as a blocking, as far as a blocker and a receiver. And you got Dylan Sainer, who's 6'7", 280, and he's every bit as athletic as Charlie Kohler is, and he's a terrifying run blocker. Um, and even past those three, the two guys, there's two guys behind him, Skylar Loving Black and Easton Dean, that are getting a significant amount of hype. Um, I, Easton Dean is a converted quarterback, actually. He was a, he was a freshman, true freshman quarterback out of Kansas last year. Um, but the reports we were hearing coming out of what was into out of out of fall practice last year and then what was going to be spring practice this year is that Easton Dean, um, the only reason he didn't get a lot of snaps last year at tight end is just because of all the people in front of him. Um, and they didn't want somebody else to transfer, basically. Um, they want to keep all five of those guys because uh, there's a they they the coaches specifically use the word that they think Easton Dean is the best, is the most talented tight end in the room. Wow. Uh, is the fourth or fifth string guy and Skyler loving Skyler loving blacks. Uh, he's more of a receiving type tight end, but his high school film is incredible. Um, you know, of any Iowa state guys, one of the best high school films I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, so you've got, you know, potentially five tight ends that could be on the field. I, they could, they've definitely used three of them at a time before, and I'm sure they will continue to do that um, once in a while, or at least two. Um, yeah. All those receivers. Then you've got the running backs, Brees Hall, Jarrell Brock, Johnny Lang, they've got they've got weapons all over that field. That the field that will be covered in five pass catching targets at all times, period. And they they are all liable to be hit on any given pass play. And you, it, and this may be I may be misremembering this, but like Iowa State basically carried two number one tight ends all year. Like they were basically like co starters all year because they ran one a they, lot they of two always, tight ends. they always ran a two tight end set. Yeah. Pretty much all the time because when you put Charlie Kohler on the field and take a receiver off, you're not losing a receiving threat. You're still getting a receiving threat. He just runs different routes. Love it. So, well, well you you mentioned it already, but um, the kind of the midseason emergence of, of Brees Hall a year ago, we kind of was just like first few games. It was you no, know, didn't really hear his name, and then all of a sudden, like halfway through, it's just like guy blew up, um, averaging like over a hundred a game. Uh, nine scores in yeah, like 137 against West Virginia. And then he had 200 and something total yards against Texas Tech the next game. Yeah. yeah and just absolutely just blowing up. So yeah. like he's, he's probably pretty clearly the number one guy. Um, oh, yeah. So what, so what are the expectations for him? And I know um, a guy like Jarrell Brock is, is, is another guy who's going to probably push for some, some yeah. carries. So like, what does that running back room look like? And, and how do they utilize two really talented backs in that offense? Yeah. Um, so Brace is still going to, he's, he's the number one guy. He's still going to be the guy that gets the carries. He's, he's not, maybe not going to get the Dave Montgomery share of carries, but he's going to get a good share of carries. Um, cause he's the number one guy. He's, you know, he's, he's a pretty much a complete back. He's not necessarily the super shifty guy, but he's a play style comparison, not talent comparison. He runs a lot like Adrian Peterson, did, where he's a one cut guy. He'll put the shoulder down if he needs to, but when he gets a chance to get in a little bit of space, he can turn on the jets and go. Um, but he's kind of a more, a little bit taller, more upright, one cut kind of guy like Adrian Peterson was. Um, then you got Jarrell Brock, who is he has. A, there's a there was a there was a run he when he got in against Louisiana Monroe in, in garbage time. He had a run that was you could have sworn if he was wearing number thirty two, you would have never known it wasn't Dave Montgomery. That dude runs angry. He's a violent <laughs> violent runner. Um, Brees Hall and Jarrell Brock, I would assume, will probably on the be on the field together a, a significant amount next season. They're very much a thunder and lightning kind of duo uh, with Jarrell Brock being the thunder. Um, you know, like I said, Brees will still get – he'll still get, definitely get his 
fair. He'll get the most carries for sure. And he'll get starting running back type carries. Um, but Jarrell Brock will be on the field a lot to, to balance those two out. And, you know, having, now you have two big time running threats um, there in the backfield. And, you know, don't forget about Johnny Lang. He's had some good games. He's a little bit smaller, shiftier, uh, quick in space, you know, juke out of a phone booth type of guy. Um, but, you know, he, so he won't get a, a lot of carries, but he can catch, catch passes. He's a good guy that can be just kind of shifty and, find a little space for, you know, four or five yards if you need it. Um, those three will get will definitely be the biggest three. And then a- after that, it'll be a pretty significant drop-off to whoever else gets carries. It'll be just little spot carries here and there. But um, as far as production for Brees Hall goes, I think it's – honestly, it's probably fair to just kind of extrapolate what he did last year into a full season. I think that, I think that's totally fair. Um, yeah, I think he had like a little – or was just shy of 900 yards maybe for his for his full season, something like that extrapolate that out you're probably looking at 12 1300 yards rushing you know and maybe 10 10 touchdowns or something like that I think that's probably a reasonable goal for him um especially you know okay we'll get, we'll get to the offensive line because a lot of this yeah. hinges around the offensive line next but, <laughs> um but I expect Brees's production to really just stretch out to 12 games and you're gonna see draw Brock probably get some goal line he could be kind of a little bit of a touchdown vulture um, they're going to think they can really use well. And as as you've been aching to talk about, we uh, we we got to talk about the big boys. I mean, it's it's a it's a true Midwest team. You got to talk about the beef in so the trenches. Uh, I mean, it, it is kind of weird, right? We we've talked in a couple of our Big Twelve previews. You have Chuba Hubbard, you have Puka Williams, you have um, you know Brees Hall. You have some really good running backs in the Big Twelve this year. Yeah. But what he can do, I think there is. Uh, some predication on um, Iowa State's offensive line with Trevor Downing and, and Colin Newell coming back, but there there probably has to be some more both to open up that running game and to protect uh, Purdy and keep him healthy all year. Uh, there, there's going to need to be some solid play there. So what are you expecting from the offensive line unit? Well, the good part is that not a lot of room to go down. <laughs> the running game and running game, Iowa State's offensive line has been bad for, I don't know, a decade at least. Uh, probably really honestly since Kalecio Semele was here. That was the last time the running game, the running blocking was good. Um, it was really good that year, but now it's not, now it's not that great. Um, so any improvement at all in the running game from a, from a blocking perspective is an, it just is an improvement. Um, in the past blocking game, they've been generally pretty good. So you have Trevor Downing, Colin coming back to, you know, they're, they're both very capable offensive line. They're young, but they've got a lot of starts for being how young they are. Um, you're you're replacing Julian Jones started up. He started a lot of games all over the offensive line, and uh, I think he was just kind of there because that was the most experienced guy in the room. Because I I tell you what, you should have seen our group chat when, when he was playing. It was, it was it was Julian Bad Jones hour. So I think you're losing three seniors, but you're replacing them with three young guys that are very talented. They're the, the raw talent level is definitely going up pretty significantly. Um, it'll take a little bit of time for them to, to gel, but you're, you know, Joey Ramos is going to be a very, very, very good left tackle. Uh, Trevor Downing and Colin Newell uh, make out the left, the rest, you know, the left guard in the center. That in my mind, the left side of that line is pretty well solidified. Is as, as Joey Ramos played better than Julian Good Jones in his backup role last year. Um, the right guard uh, has not been. The right guard and the right tackle have not been. 100% like solidified who it is yet, but my feeling and what I've heard is that Rob Hudson is probably going to be the guard at, I don't, usually guards are smaller guys, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, Rob Hudson's like 6'9", 3'10", as a, as a right guard, so I don't know, we'll see. That's a, he's a road grader, <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll slap him in there and see what happens, and the right guard, right tackle's probably going to be Grant Triber. He's a redshirt freshman out of South Dakota. Um, he's a very athletic guy. 
Um, not necessarily a power uh, or not necessarily a, a road grader in the run game, but he's a very athletic guy that'll make a good he'll make a good tackle, um, especially in pass protection. So the the future of the line is bright. It's just they're young right now. Um, now I will say that I think we, we we've talked about this a little bit on our podcast a little bit too, and I think we can look back at it now, and it's kind of an under the radar thing. But in five years, we're going to look back. I think. And the best thing that happened to Iowa State football was hiring Dave Andrews as the new strength coach. Um, he is widely regarded as one of the best ones in the country, like uh, right up there with current Texas strength coach, former Iowa State coach, Anson McKnight. He's, he's considered in that category of like the very top tier of what they do. Um, and I think, because what happened was when Iowa State played Notre Dame in the Camping World Bowl and didn't go well, and the, basically the entire reason is that Notre Dame's offensive line is always – their trenches, their offensive and defensive lines are always very, very good. Yeah. They're strong, and they are very talented. And I was, they got bullied big time in the trenches. And as the story goes, they got off the plane names. Matt Campbell looked to basically his best friend, Rudy Wade, said, sorry, man, it's not working. Fired him and hired a new strength coach. Because – because he saw that while Iowa State had, had success against, you know, doing their type of thing uh, in the Big 12 where it's, where it's just a different game. It's not necessarily better or worse, just a different game. Um, as you're playing for a different type of defense, you're playing for a different type of offense. Uh, when you had a team like Notre Dame that could that could just pound everything down your throat because they could just bully you in the trenches. Um, Matt Campbell wants to model his teams after that type of team that, that can really just dominate you physically, especially up front. And I think he saw that the gap – the gap between Iowa State and Notre Dame almost entirely lied in the trenches. It wasn't the quarterback, wasn't the skill positions, wasn't it wasn't the secondary, wasn't any of that. It was the it was the gap between Iowa State and Notre Dame last year was on the offensive line and the defensive line. And you could point out and you could look at it and see that the offensive line, defensive line for Iowa State was not strong enough. They weren't they weren't strong enough. They weren't flexible enough. They couldn't use their weight and strength in a in a way that was efficient and productive. Um, this guy, David and Dave Andrews, can do that. Um, from it, from what I've heard uh, from guys that even though they've been working out at home, is that the they've made pretty significant improvements just in their flexibility and learning how to use their weight and their strength more efficiently. So you don't have to add lots and lots of bulk, wherever you don't have to keep you know you don't have to max out their bench and their squat to be you know that doesn't make alignment necessarily better. They have to learn how to use that strength, and that's a big focus of, from what I understand of, of what's been going on so far. And I think that will speed up the development of those young guys quite a bit. So you're like for two weeks in a row now, the guests have crushed the segues. Uh, so on the defensive line, uh, Iowa state has lost uh, Ray Lima and, and I think Jamai Johnson. Am I saying that right? Jamal Johnson. Jamal Johnson. Sorry. That's a typo. Jamal Johnson. Um, but you, you get, <laughs> They're getting healthy along the offensive line. They add in a JUCO uh, defensive tackle, nose guard. Um, nose guard because I was born in 19, the 1980s, nose tackle, whatever you call it <laughs> nowadays. Um, so the defensive line is going to be a little bit of a work in progress. I mean, Iowa State, I think, returns with nine guys on the defense and loses the kind of two big pieces in the center, though. So, yeah. like, what what is that defensive line? Because I think you, you're, you're right, a lot of – um, Iowa State struggles in that bowl game began and ended on that on that defensive line. So, like, what does that look like, and how do they improve? Um, and is I mean, sometimes it might be addition by subtraction, even. Yeah. So, there's a, there's a couple pieces to this. As good as he was for his first two years, Ray Lima took a pretty significant step back last year. 
Mm. Um, he was not. He didn't hold his run gaps as well as he always had. He didn't rush. The, he was basically a non-factor in the pass rush. He was just kind of he was kind of a body there. Um, and I think we got a little bit of a, a, a look into what why that might have been because last was it two weeks ago? Now he was on the Miami. He got signed by the Miami Dolphins as an unrestricted free agent, and then just kind of up and retired from football, kind of out of nowhere. So I think they're. It's a possibility, I think, that he was kind of already sort of checked out, I think. Maybe just – I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm not saying he didn't care. I'm not saying that at all. But his head might not have been fully there. He might have been running at 100, 100% the whole time. I think that's probably a fair criticism. Um, Jamal Johnson was really good last year. He was he was by far, I would say, his best defensive tackle, but he can't do it alone, unfortunately. So he's a loss. Uh, he, was a, he was a good defensive tackle. He was a really good pass rusher. If you need any evidence of that, go watch the West Virginia footage where he absolutely ate the center he he tackled the center and the running back simultaneously like in the backfield three yards behind the line of scrimmage because he got off the line so fast um uh so that's loss so you replace it with latrell bankson as you mentioned he's the juco defensive tackle he is an aggressive pass rusher he's not he still needs to he'll need to work on his discipline in the run game and, and hitting his run hitting his gaps and hitting his run fits um but i think he's he's a he's a great kid he's got a great head on shoulders um, and I think he'll, he'll be, uh, he'll be a quick learner, I think for sure that he can, he can make that, he can make that jump quicker than I think maybe a lot of defensive linemen can. He's a, he's a really athletic guy. He's in good shape. He's a really athletic pass rusher too, from that nose tackle spot. So he can do some damage in that, just getting him in early. Um, another guy you bring in is a freshman, Will Singleton. Freshman defensive tackle are really, they're tricky because you, the, especially in the trenches, uh, offensive and defensive line, the gap between high school seniors and college sophomores is massive, yeah. huge gap. Because um, you're when you're in high school, you're a fat 260. When you're in college, you're a muscular 280. It's a huge, massive body change between, so, between high school and even early college. Um, now, if Dave Andrews can get him turned around pretty quickly, he's a guy that can help out early on, I think, for sure. Um, he's a good – he's another good pass rushing uh, defensive tackle. But the guy that's probably actually going to slide in be the starter is uh, Eniwa Azarike, which might – he was a defensive end. He was what, probably has been one of Iowa State's best pass rushing defensive ends. Uh, he usually plays at like 6'6", 280. He has now beefed up to 310. So they're going to move – they're going to move him inside. He's, a, he's an extremely athletic uh, guy. I, I love that move. He'll probably – I'm sure he'll probably need to work a little bit on his run fits, but – um, just from a pass rush and getting the quarterback perspective, getting any up to 310 and letting him rush from that nose tackle spot is going to be huge, 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 huge. Uh, another, and the great thing is that, you know, you're moving him inside, so you're technically losing a defensive end, but you also get a defensive end back that you weren't expecting to have in Jaquan Bailey. Jaquan Bailey, yeah. Um, he was a preseason defensive player of the year uh, for the Big 12 point in the last season, got hurt early, redshirted this season. Um, so you get, you get Jaquan Bailey back, who's going to be – the next time he touches a quarterback, he'll be the he'll be the school's all time leader in sacks. Um, he's a great pass rusher. Zach Peterson um, has really played really well the last couple of years. He's a good defensive end. The guy I'm really excited to see is Will McDonald. Um, he did some serious damage against Texas and Kansas last year. Um, and if you go back and rewatch that tape, actually against I'm not trying to bully you guys, but you go back and rewatch that tape against Texas, there was a few times where he probably should have had five or six sacks. Um, there was a few times he got pretty egregious holding um, because he's, he's not like a, he's not a 250, 260 DN. He's like two, 
35, 240. He is pure speed coming off that edge. He's not great in coverage. They're not going to use him as a hybrid type of thing and just keep him out there all the time. They're going to use him as a stand-up pass rusher, as a stand-up pass rusher off guard. And when he can, when you can let him go, he can do some significant damage as a pass rush because I, the way Iowa State's defense kind of like I'm not going to explain the whole defense. It's way too complicated for this. But um, at the pass rushers they like to have three on the line and then they bring four. You know, they bring a fourth or a fifth guy just from different spots all the time. Might come from the edge, come up an A gap, be from come a corner. They bring blitzes from all over the place. Um, and when you have a guy like Will McDonald that you can you can you can move him all along the line, whether it's off an edge or in an A, a or B gap. Um, you can put him anywhere on, the, on that line. His he creates an a, an immediate speed advantage on that. So he, he changes the leverage of that pass rush. Um, so he's a he, he's a, a weapon there. So I know, like you said, you lose a couple a couple experienced defensive tackles, but one of them didn't live up to expectations last year. And I think the guy you're replacing, the guys you're replacing with, have a higher ceiling. And I'll just say, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the offseason uh, pictures of Sam Allinger, but he's a svelte 260 looking. Uh, <laughs> defensive ends better better be ready quick or not. Uh, the, the, you know, held or not. It's tough if you come around and meet a quarterback. Uh, that's stout, especially in the lower that's half. He's got a great trunk on him. Yeah. That's a... <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Just, I'll, I'll just say, so the, the, the rest of the defense outside of that, Right, is I think we we understand Hecox's got um, a great scheme, but a lot of it um, predicated on pressure, and they did get the turnovers in the defensive backfield um, last year. But you're returning a lot of those guys, and the same thing at linebacker. Although you have to replace uh, a leading tackler and Marcel Spears, you bring back Rose, Orion Vance, and Jake Hummel, who are you know probably as, as solid as you could expect of any unit uh, on on the team from the outside looking in, at least. So I mean, for the for those two units, I mean, is it is it um, just bringing the guys back and, and improving even more from, from last year uh, kind of to see the step up. Yeah. So the question with the linebackers is not, it's not the starters, it's the depth behind them there because the depth is all really young. Um, now I think if, if the depth is serviceable, they're just, they're good enough or whatever. The linemen, the linebackers will be good. If they do what I hope and think they actually might do is when they, if they switch Mike Rose and Orion Vance, they put Mike Rose back in the middle, like he was two seasons ago and they move Orion Vance out to the outside, linebackers will be better than good. They will be very good slash one of the best units in the conference. They'd like probably second best after maybe TCU or whoever. Um, they, because Mike Rose's natural position is middle linebacker, and you could see last year, you could tell he was playing a little bit out of position. He wasn't as comfortable setting his edges and, and covering out in the flats and stuff like that. Mike Rose, he is allowed to operate in the middle of the field as, as, as the, as the middle linebacker. He is a, he's a, very, very, very good player. He man, he manages his run fits really well in the in the middle of the defense. He's good as kind of a roaming linebacker in the middle in the middle of the zone. Um, I really hope that they move him back. Ryan Vance can. I mean, both of those guys can play either positions, but the benefit you get from moving um, Mike Rose to middle linebacker is far outweighs the detriment you take by moving out Ryan Vance outside. Because they're both playing athletic enough to play. Orion Vance can play out there, but you get a huge boon by playing Mike Rose in the middle. I, I hope they do that. And if they do, it, we should see Iowa State going back to being, you know, arguably the best unit in the conference. Whereas last year they took a little bit of a step back. So I think that that kind of brings us to, I think the 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 logical next step in this interview, which is really what people come for, especially when we have uh, have you on. So. 
I hate the name of this. So I'm going to introduce it. I'm like, Kyle, give you the name, but we're going to hit you with the rapid fire. Um, just kind of ridiculous, random questions that we want to ask to get Do your it. thoughts on. Um, and I, and again, I hate the name. So I'm like, Kyle hit the name and then he'll also take the first question. So yeah, this is actually just called hooked them, which I agree is not great, but we've been doing it all year. We got to stick with it. Um, we also like, especially when we have our, western folks on that by this point you know you're 12 13 beers in so this is perfectly loose so, you know we're, we're 12, ready 13 man I, I feel like i got a good i got a good like tolerance but man 12 13 <laughs> like, I'm, I'm far more coherent now than i am after 12 beers <laughs> uh so let's start with the first uh first question um i'll, I'll just say um it, based on your your effusive praise earlier, I'm going to ask you this question, um, and 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 I think you'll you'll understand. So, if a family member who you you like and Brock Purdy were both in line for the last lifeboat off the modern day Titanic situation for whatever reason they need to be rescued off a lifeboat, uh, which would you choose, and would your family be offended? Is it a me? Is it an immediate family like my mom or my dad, or is it just like a cousin? Okay, let's say I'm going to take immediate relations out because I, I think this gets us to the spirit of the question. Okay. Yeah, I don't care about my cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Keep Brock Purdy. I don't care. They don't understand. <laughs> I had a feeling that's where that was going. It, it Karen will get it, right? She's got season tickets. Figured out. <laughs> she gets it. She, it's fine. She gets it. I, I am 11 for uh, 10 for uh, 10 for 11 because I missed a week because my wife had a baby. Uh, but I'm, I'm 10 for 10 on the weeks I've been on the show. So Iowa State alum, he wasn't anybody of note. I think he started, studied like marketing and textile. So it was a weird, very long major. Uh, but name is Travis Horn. He briefly yeah. wrestled in the World Wrestling Entertainment uh, and was mentored by fellow Iowan Seth Rollins, actually was his mentor. Yep. So I cue all of that up to say this. If there was a player on the Iowa State team, you had to pick one guy to go to the WWE, who would it be and what would their ring name be? Good question. Oh, Chandler Pulvermacher. He, Whoa. Chandler Pulvermacher, he's a backup linebacker. He's from Wisconsin. He's got the big flowing gold, golden hair, um, and he would be the pulverizer. What a name. Yeah, it's, yeah. That is the most outstanding linebacker name I've ever heard in my life. Now, now, follow-up question. Is it Pulvermacher CK or CH? Because that really C-H. makes a difference. CH. Oh. oh. Yeah, I, I just picture a very – I picture a very Dolph Lundgren character for him or, you know, just a very – He's like a 6'4 linebacker. He's got the big flowing golden hair. I will break him. No, uh, I think that's that's beautiful. I I read recently that Vince McMahon didn't know when Scott Hall was pitching him the Razor Ramon character that he was actually pitching Scarface because he hadn't seen the movie and he thought Scott Hall was the most genius person of all time. So I imagine Chandler – uh, or Mr. Pulvermacher just just quoting uh, Ivan Ivan Drago or some some large Germanic or Russian um, type there, and and Vince McMahon instantly signing him up. But I'm going to switch from uh, the the brute to the the brain. Um, probably, I would say the most famous alumnus of of uh, Iowa State University, at least in, in my outside looking in, George Washington Carver. Is that correct? Would you, would you say? I would agree with that. I, uh, I mean, quick Google search in my kind of uh, yeah, thing. Once called by Time Magazine the Black Leonardo, and that's not the Ninja Turtle. That's the the Italian, you know, uh, Renaissance man. Like excluding politicians, he's definitely the most famous one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the, the the there is an interesting thing about him. He's commonly misattributed as inventing peanut butter. He invented a trillion different ways to grow, use, consume peanuts. But peanut butter already a thing. So that that that's important. 
to this question. So he is an Iowa State alum, obviously very proud. Texas Longhorns have an alum named Ike Sewell. Ike was an All-American player in the 20s on the Longhorn team. Then uh, his career took him around, American Airlines, liquor distributor, eventually got him to the city of Chicago. We're in that city, he said. Everything's bigger and better in in Texas. What if we made a Chicago signature style of pizza, which was a deep dish? That's right. Texas Longhorn invented deep dish pizza. So if you had to eat not peanut butter, but peanuts for every meal for the rest of your life or a deep dish Chicago pizza, which would you choose? So I'd eat peanuts or peanut products. Uh, We'll say peanut products, but not peanut butter. But not peanut butter. I mean, because the Carver people think, and I want to clear that up for the listeners. Um. Well, the problem with Chicago pizza is it's a casserole, not a pizza. <laughs> um, very fair. I, I'm a big fan of casseroles, honestly. So I like I, casseroles. I, I, I like casseroles are great. I don't. They might be the most versatile dish, just period. Like you just call it a casserole. Doesn't matter. You can throw you can throw fruit in. It's a casserole. Throw veggies, meat in. It doesn't matter. It's casserole. Who cares? Put, put noodles, sprinkle cheese on top. Casserole. Yeah. Whatever type of French fried onions. Done. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess I'm probably going to go with, like, I like peanuts, but I don't like, I don't like them enough to pay money for them. Does that sure. make sense? Sure. Like, like, if someone just, like, has peanuts, like, if I'm at Texas Roadhouse or something like that, I'll just shout out the peanuts or whatever like that. But, like, will I go out and buy a bag of peanuts? No. Um, so I'll, I'll take the pizza casserole. So, so you're predicting the Longhorns to win based on that. You chose the Longhorn <laughs> over, uh, you heard it here first, folks. No, so I'm going to go because Gerald has the question to end on. I'm going to go double here um, because this is just a point of clarification question. How do you pronounce your kicker's uh, name? Connor Asali. Asali. Yeah, you can call him Asali. <laughs> you know, I, it's one of those that I always, I always come up, pull up. <laughs> I always That's hesitate. It's like 15 or 20 different names for Connor Asali. <laughs> Fair oh. enough. <laughs> That's it for oh, me. Man. We're, we're teetering on the line of our clean rating for this podcast. Uh, this is the, the question to end on. I, I'm going to force you on recorded media, we'll end up on the internet. I need you to say one nice thing about the University of Iowa. One nice thing. The Steelers have very nice uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> a, a bit of roundaboutism, and I appreciate it. <laughs> it's fair. All I've right. been asked that question a few different times, and I've always got that answer. Can but <laughs> I, I, I respect that actually a lot. That's yeah, fair enough. When you I have think, when you have a rivalry that truly like defines your team, you have to be ready for for people just picking at the scab. You got to know it's coming. I don't even care. It's funny because like people like nobody thinks of Iowa State as like a really great like people like to make fun of Iowa State, but it's like. It's a pretty serious like rivalry. Like there's there's a lot of petty nonsense that goes on between the two, but like as far as just overall fire in the rivalry, it is way up there in, in college football. Like we get after each other. Like how many how many rivalries do you know where the where the opposing where one of the bands will fake getting punched in the face to get back at the rival? <laughs> like all this nonsense. It's like, come on. And they say there's no soccer in the Big Twelve. Yeah. At least not on the men's side. But, well, that's all we've got for you, man. So if people want to follow you, what you've got going on, man, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, on the internet. Depends where you look. No, um, on, <laughs> on Twitter, uh, my personal hand – or well, the interesting things that I tweet out are on Wide Right. Let, I'm just on our Wide Right Natty Light Twitter account. It's at WideRTNattyLT um, for – non-Iowa State things, I guess. I tweet out of my personal account, which is the Levi at Levi R. Stev, S-T-E-V. 
Um, otherwise, most of my things that I write are wideright90light.com. Love it. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. I know it's been a long, crazy day for you. So we appreciate you carving out uh, basically an hour to talk to us and discuss some football and some stuff yeah. that doesn't really matter. You only carved out a half an hour. <laughs> Told you to carve <laughs> out an hour. I made you carve out an hour. <laughs> I, we that's, should know better. We're four years into this. We should know better. That's that's absolutely right. I'm the, I'm the guy people call it if they need like if they need to fill content. Someone called in six. The twelve to four hours open. Call Levi. Yeah, so I don't know why. I, like, I really should get a radio show because like filling four hours is not even a problem. Not even an issue. Love it, man. Levi. Thank thanks again, brother. Yeah, thanks for having always, me. On. Always fun, man. Absolutely. All right. So we are coming to the uh, segment formerly known as Godzilla Tron. If you've seen your news, you know that there is a new uh, Tron out there. Not Jimmy Neutron, but a new Jumbotron out there uh, to be named. So we're calling this the Godzilla Tron uh, Memorial segment until we hear the new name of the new giant screen. Because this segment is all about watching something on our giant screen from our couches during this time of uh, insulation, quarantine, and self-isolation. So, Gerald, what have you been watching? Uh, so I have been watching, uh, alone is the show that my wife and I have been enjoying season six is the only season on Netflix. Um, we, again, we have a newborn, so we watch a lot of TV, but so season six was on Netflix and then seasons one and two were on Amazon and seasons three through five are on Hulu. So we have all of the streaming services because we're basically still paying for cable, but whatever. Um, so the premise of the show is this, they drop 10 people into a, inhospitable environment and say, Hey, film yourself trying to survive for X number of days. And basically you can hit this button and we'll come pull you out. And the last one standing wins half a million dollars. So the first two seasons, uh, were in kind of the, the Yukon country and in, you know, North, North, Northwest, uh, Canada. Uh, the most recent season, we just jumped into season three. Uh, they are surviving in Patagonia, which is one of the least hospitable places on the entire planet. And so it's really, um, it's interesting because it's not like a camera crew. They're all filming themselves doing this. And so it's a really interesting, like one, I'm like learning about, like there's a way to trap animals in, in the, the wilderness. And here's the best type of, uh, here's the best type of shelter to build in this rate, but it's also just a really interesting study of like what happens to people when they don't have human contact for like 50 or 60 days, right? Like two months without human contact, hunting, foraging, fishing, like all those things on your eyes. Really, really interesting. So it's been a uh, really, really fun watch. So the other thing I, I, my wife and I've been watching alone. And then when my wife is asleep and I'm cleaning the house, uh, I've been trying to get into more like us history. And I just want to, I want to be more knowledgeable about just like the, you know, the origins of this country. And so, uh, you may know that the, the author Ron Chernow, he is um, roundabout responsible for the Hamilton craze. Basically, Lin-Manuel Miranda read his biography of Alexander Hamilton and then was inspired to write uh, the play Hamilton. And so he actually did. He's done several of them. And I'm listening to currently uh, his one on George Washington. And it's really interesting because uh, I didn't know much about George Washington other than like what he did during the revolution and then, you know, his, his stint as president. So hearing some of his history, I didn't realize that George Washington was a massive human being like things that it, that it pushing like six, one, six, two in an era where everybody's five, seven, like just a massive, massive man. Um, 
to like just knowing like just reading interesting things about him like he had kind of a love affair before his wife and it was a married woman like all these interesting things that I didn't really know about George Washington uh, it's been interesting to learn so that's been my other thing uh, my, my audio book uh, been it's just called Washington by Ron Chernow does he rap it he does not uh, okay well then that means there's a future for Broadway um, I'm glad to see that Lin-Manuel cast it perfectly though because George Washington the original cast is just a yoked up like linebacker looking massive force of a man he's incredible in the role uh, the, I can't remember his name now but when I watched Hamilton the original George Christopher Jackson that's him yeah Christopher Jackson who's also in In the Heights who's a, a freaking star um, crushed it but is also like a, a meaty necked man who you don't want to step to like you wouldn't want to see a couple veins popping out of that angry forehead but I'm not here to talk about Hamilton I, I've talked about that in the past I think if I haven't I could talk about it but I loved it um, but I, I've watched some other shows um I'm just going to focus on one this week. Talked about a couple in the past weeks. Um, but the uh, wife has me watching a, a, what I she felt was a hole in my uh, continuity of HBO classics. I missed modern classic girls I had never watched. Um, I, and I, I'll say this. There, there are some moments. I, I see why, the, and I've had other people recommend it to me, and I see why they might. There are some good moments, some funny moments. But the problem, and I think I'm four seasons in, is there are very few redeeming and likable characters in this show. Almost everyone is the worst. Uh, Brian Williams' daughter, Allison Williams, is, is beautiful, but she's the worst. Uh, I mean, the, the main character may be the absolute, like, we went through the era of, of anti-heroes. We watched Mad Men. We watched Sopranos. You know, you, you have, you're Breaking Bads, like the hero of anti-heroes. And then they just took it. They took the hero out. It's just anti. She just is the worst character I've ever seen on screen, and I, I hate every second. I don't identify or root for her in any uh, way, um, which is, which is you know, interesting and odd. Um, but, I mean, there are some moments in the show, I'll say, that, that, are, that are somewhat redeeming and good. I wouldn't recommend everyone rush out and see it but you can add it to the list it is a a, a popular show that i think serves a, an interesting niche as like an updated maybe more realistic sex in the city set in a millennial kind of era i had someone once described girls as the the uh, show that most told uh, like our eras like experience post-college which i did certainly did not um empathize with but um yeah that's what i've been watching it's interesting almost done i will be excited to uh, to get to the next one so i'll open it back up once again i got some good replies the last time i believe the americans came in um but if you you think i should be watching something else that you haven't heard me talk about that you think i might not have seen that that might be good uh tweet at uh, me or tweet at the podcast in the a hashtag replies of texas and hashtag godzilla of what i should be watching next let me know what y'all are watching that you think is worthwhile. I read about like what, what goes on in, in that. I just, it's one of those like I have zero desire to like, why, like why? Like it just seems like it would suck all of the joy out of my life. So I never, never ever picked it up. This is a guy who's seen the wire three times and it emotionally crushes him every time, but it's still <laughs> enriching, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at real girls fan page. No, you can find me on Twitter at, Kyle Carpenter, you can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Gutter Trolley Show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Iowa State's corny.